Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The word of the Lord. chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which we have just heard, opens with some strange words. We hear <clears throat> strange names and peculiar places, and we wonder, why is Luke doing this to us on a Sunday morning by listing these odd-sounding and seemingly irrelevant people and places? Clearly, Luke is not doing this to dazzle or captivate his audience because it's pretty dry stuff. There are two reasons Luke does this, it seems to me. The first reason that Luke does this is that by listing these people and places, the broader story of Jesus Christ and his cousin John the Baptist gets a defined place in human history. In other words, John and Jesus aren't fictional characters in some vague tale from of old, which took place a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But rather, they are locked into a particular time and place in human history. This story takes place around the year 26 AD. By this time, Emperor Tiberius has been on the throne of the Roman Empire for 15 years and is coincidentally preparing for his retirement on the island of Capri. Not a bad place to choose for retirement. Pontius Pilate, a Roman procurator, is the authority figure to the south in Judea. To the north, Herod Antipas and his brother Philip rule over their father's kingdom in Galilee. Their father, if you recall, was Herod the Great, the guy who killed all those babies when Jesus was born. The district of Abilene is ruled by Lysanias at this time. Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas control the Jewish temple and all the priests, with Caiaphas being the high priest, and Annas, although technically retired, 
still exerting tremendous control and influence from the sidelines. So all of this history is fairly mind-numbing. But Luke goes into great lengths to lock the story of Jesus and John into a particular time and place in human history. It's interesting to note what else is going on in the world at this very same time in history. This is also around the time when the Han Dynasty is being established in China. Buddhism is being established or introduced in China, having traveled from India. Most of Asia is still recovering from a catastrophic earthquake that took place only five years before. In Rome, a poorly built amphitheater collapses, killing 20,000 of the 50,000 spectators. Apricots are introduced to Europe, having traveled from Asia on a trade route. So, while all of this stuff is happening in the world, John preaches, and Jesus is baptized, all in the year 26 AD, according to our human calendar. Secondly, Luke lists the men in power at this time and in this place because Luke is intentionally interested in pointing out to whom the word of God came and to whom it did not come. Specifically, the word of God did not come to Emperor Tiberius. The word of God did not come to Pontius Pilate. The word of God did not come to King Herod, nor to his two sons, neither Herod Antipas nor Philip. The word of God did not come to Lysanias. The word of God did not even come to the priests Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God did not come to these nepotistic and in many cases unjust, corrupt, and cruel systems of power. Instead, the word of God subversively comes to John, son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who according to Luke, lived blamelessly and righteously before God. Although John is born into a priestly and privileged home, he takes a Nazarite vow, which is a sort of monasticism, renouncing the wealth of his upbringing. As a Nazarite, John abstains from alcohol. He's forbidden to cut his hair. And he's not allowed to come into any contact with anything that would make him ritually impure. In so doing, John lives on the fringe of society, feasting on locusts and wild honey, a wild appearance with uncut hair, wearing a robe made of camel's hair. He exists on the margins, baptizing, preaching, preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. When John finally opens his mouth to speak, he breaks a 400-year silence from the prophets. Your Savior is coming, he says. Get ready. And then one day, while baptizing people in the Jordan, he looks up and he sees Jesus and he announces, He is here. The Lamb of God is here. And then things very quickly get messy for John by confronting the powers that be and speaking truth to power when he confronts Herod on his affair with his brother's wife. And because of this, John lands in prison and is finally beheaded, bringing the era of the prophets to a grisly and violent close. But while he lives, John spends his entire life pointing to another, 
pointing to Jesus, who's coming, he longs for, pointing to the long-expected Messiah, the one whom the prophets before him had foretold. Even though the word of God with all its power comes to John instead of the emperor, kings, or high priests of his time, John never once points to himself. Constantly he points to Christ, which does not diminish his own power or make him look weak. Indeed, the opposite is true. John the Baptist is one of the most powerful, courageous, and passionate voices in the entire Bible. John's power comes from the one to whom he points, Jesus Christ, King of Kings. We don't see this much in the world right now. We see an awful lot of pointing to the self. We see our own president tweet on Thanksgiving that he is the thing he gives most thanks for. We see him indignantly pointing to himself in the ongoing investigation over the 2016 election, even as that house of cards is collapsing all around him. We see him point to himself as the authoritative one to close down borders and points of entry into our country, even as young children lay dying at our border for want of water and food. We see him point to himself as the one to whom laws simply do not apply. We see him pointing to himself by making the claim that the protesters and rioters in France are chanting, we want Trump, although there's no evidence at all to support this claim. We see him who claims to embrace the Christian faith, refusing to recite the Apostles' Creed at former President George Bush's funeral, drawing attention again to himself. One points to Jesus, the other points to himself. There could not be a wider gap between prophet and president. The book of Luke doesn't often quote the Old Testament, but Today, Luke does reference Isaiah, calling people then and now to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Luke is clearly calling on this passage from Isaiah to assure us that the path to the Lord is a path for all people and that this is the Lord's doing, the one to whom Isaiah, Luke, and John all point. It is the Lord's doing that all flesh shall see the salvation of God, not just the fit who are able to scale mountains, not just the conditioned who are able to traverse valleys, not just the athletic, who can run and jump and climb, not just the nimble or the agile or the young, but a smooth path to accommodate wheelchairs and walkers and canes and casts. A smooth path to accommodate the fragile elderly and the disabled war veteran. A smooth path for crawling babies and toddling toddlers. A smooth path for exhausted families who have already walked thousands of miles. A smooth path for the faint of heart and the out of breath. A smooth path for ones who simply cannot weather another obstacle in life. A smooth path for the broken, the wounded, the limping, the hopeless. 
a smooth path to accommodate those whom society has villainized and injured due to race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or economic class. Isaiah's vision of the path of the Lord is a great social equalizer. It is a path wide enough and broad enough to accommodate then the entire human race, which is something no human leader has managed to accomplish. No matter how famous Hitler's Autobahn or Eisenhower's interstate system or China's longest bridge, human paths are always built for some, but not for all. You must be physically and mentally fit enough to drive be able to afford a car or pay for transportation, be wealthy enough to pay tolls. But the prophets point to Jesus Christ, the word who comes not to emperors or kings, but to prophets and shepherds, who comes to prostitutes and tax collectors, the word who comes to the dying and the dead and fashions a path to God for all people. Do not look to, for the word of God to come to the White House, the Kremlin, or Parliament. Do not look for prophecy from the lips of Trump, Putin, or Macron. Biblical history urges us to look instead to the margins of society, <clears throat> to our borders, to the fringes, to see what God is doing. We see the word of God moving some to take a knee until all have equal rights. We see the word of God moving some to come forward and say, me too. We see the word of God giving moms and dads the strength and courage to carry their babies on their shoulders from Honduras in search of safety and a better life. We see the word of God inspiring the Salvation Army guy in front of the Coralville Walmart to sing Oh Holy Night so powerfully the other day that he himself forgot to ring his own bell while dozens of shoppers gathered around and for a moment forgot that they couldn't afford the things in their shopping cart. The word of God comes to the broken and the suffering. The ones who doubt their own worth the ones with no kingdom, or a crown, or a scepter. The word of God comes to you and to me. Isaiah envisions a path that accommodates a new kind of human caravan, new and living proof that the word of God is still at work in creating a brand new reality, not just for some, but for all flesh, as all flesh moves towards God on this smooth and straight path. This new, smooth, straight path is not the doing of emperors or fuhrers or presidents and all of their self-pointing. This is the work of the Lord, and it is glorious in our presence. The Lord who comes to the people, who comes to you and to me, even so far as to become one of us. This Jesus, this King of Kings, this one will die for the sins of the entire human caravan having never once pointed to himself, although he could have, being God. Jesus never pointed to himself in all of his power when he was arrested, tortured, or crucified, never once pointed to himself on the cross. Indeed, Jesus always points to the ones that he heals and feeds and loves. Jesus always points to you. 
the reason for his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We give thanks to God for John and for all the prophets who draw our eyes to where they need to be, to the hungry, who draw our hearts to the suffering and turn our pointing from the self to the Son, who comes to us now to make all things new. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>